You know, the, uh, many times it's in that quiet space that's the most uncomfortable. And that's why we surround ourselves with, uh, I don't want to say chaos, but we surround ourselves with busyness, with things that keep us active and engaged so that we don't have to think about or enter into that, that quiet space. Anybody in here, let's just be real this morning, <laughs> we're family, right? Anybody ever set that time apart, you said, you know what, I'm just going to pursue the Lord, I'm going to have my quiet time, I'm going to be intentional, and you set a time, 30 minutes, whatever, time is not the point. You set time apart, that you're intentional, you say, I'm going to do this every day and be intentional to grow in intimacy and relationship with the Lord, and it, you go through a spell the first week, two weeks, three weeks, it feels like you're talking to the wall. Anybody ever done that? You feel like, Jesus, I said, I've set my heart towards you, and I'm really desiring intimacy, and, if, and I feel so far away from you now more than I ever have before, and I'm setting my eyes on you, and I'm trying to get close to you, and it seems like I'm getting further away. What is going on? Anybody ever been there? You know why? I think many times, and I don't have an answer for that. I think sometimes it's just him not hiding from us but for us. Because he's saying, I want you to come even deeper. I want you to come past the emotion of not feeling me. I want you to go past the encounter. Do we believe in encounters? Absolutely. I believe in supernatural encounters with the living God. I believe in, we, we make declarations, divine manifestations, anointing, gifting, and call, angelic visitations, dreams and visions. I believe in all of that. But I believe the Lord is saying, can you still pursue even in the still? Can you still stay just as focused and just as intentional to be with me even though you don't feel me drawing you in? And I think it takes us to a new level of maturity in him when we say, you know what, it doesn't matter what I feel. Do I want emotions? Absolutely. God, emotions are part of who we are. If they're what leads us, we're in trouble. But if they're, they're a part of, of who we are, I'm an emotional person. I don't, I don't, I'm not ashamed of that. I'm not ashamed, to, as a man, to cry. I'm not. I'm not afraid of shame. I'm not ashamed as a man to cry in front of you. I'm not because my identity's not in you. My identity's in him. And he's saying, I want you to understand more and more what that looks like. And this morning, I got, I'm just going to, I'm just going to do it. Karen, she knew it. She was looking the other way. She's like, no, Lord, no. I just want to honor Karen because she's, she's, she's quiet. She does what she does. But she does it with excellence as unto the Lord. I, and and the, the, I think we need to be honoring to honor, give honor to whom honors do. And, and she's here early every, I got here at 8.01. 8.01, I'm supposed to be here at 8. I was one minute late. So normally when I get here, my morning duties when I get here is I'll put these lights on top of the speakers I'll take the flag that's out by the road, I'll nail, it, nail the stake in the ground, put the flag up, then the sandwich sign that y'all might not even have seen that's up on the hill, I carry that out and I put it out, and then I tape the doors open so that everybody can come in and out, right? I do that. I got here at 
The doors were taped. My stool that I stand on with the tape on it was sitting right here. The projector was set up shooting blue on because, because I had the laptop with me. 801. She was headed out the door as I was coming in. She was headed out the door with the flag to go put it out. I've never asked her to do it. I've never shown her how to do it. And the, the little sandwich sign, which is like eight foot long, was at the door where I had to walk around it to come in. Why is that important? Because when we do it as unto the Lord, we don't do it to be seen. But there's, there's honor in, in respecting and honoring those who do it. And I said, I wish I could duplicate you, <laughs> just, just replicate you. Because her heart is not to, she didn't, and when I told her about it, I even said something in front of a couple of people at the beginning of worship practice. She was like, un- miserable, uh, uncomfortable because I was doing it. And she, even now, she's squirming a little on the front row. I love you, Karen. You're amazing. But to see where she's grown and what God's doing in her, but just those eyes that we would look, and it's not about doing stuff for me or for the church. It's just saying, God, I know there's things that need to be done, and I can do it if I look beyond me. If I look beyond me. So it put me in a place all morning. I was just praying, getting ready to come here, uh, and just preparing my heart and things like that. And the things that he was speaking in my heart was just growing and stirring on the inside of me. So when I came and those things were pretty much done, he just began to speak even more the things that I've been meditating on. So we're going to, for since January, if you've been here at all, since January I've been talking about Abraham. And the Lord's just been stirring in me about Father Abraham, the father of us all, those who believe in faith like Abraham believe he's the father of us all, he's the father of many nations and and all that. So I've just been thinking about that, about uh, him being a father. And, uh, and I felt like over the past week, the Lord said, the reason I keep hammering Abraham as the father and that, that uh, Jesus revealed me as the father. You know, that's why, that's why the Pharisees had so much problem with, with Jesus is because he came revealing the father. Not God far off, but a father who's near. Amen. That's why, and he even said, he called God his father, and the Pharisees said, if you call God your father, that means you're his son. He said, well. <laughs> which, which gives the understanding of relationship, of intimacy. And I, I, it's not coincidental, this is the way the Lord works with me, it's not coincidental that he kept talking to me about father, father, father. And I am blessed. I have an amazing father and an amazing mother. They love, love, love. You know, growing up, we, we, didn't, we didn't have a lot of money. They worked hard. We didn't have a lot of money at that point. God has, has blessed them, and, and they're in a different place now, thank God. But things were tight when we were growing up. But what we did have was love. I, was, I, I never wondered was I loved by my mom and my dad. And I watched them sacrificially do for me. To give for me. I watched my dad work two jobs and, and things like that so I could have an expensive BMX bike because I raced BMX bikes as a kid. And I, and I watched the, I, I, there wasn't a kid out there who had a bike any nicer than mine and they weren't cheap <laughs> at all. And I watched him sacrificially throughout his life give love. I watched him love and raise kids in his home that were not his birth children, but he raised them like they were. 
And I've watched him in, his, if we've been a church for 10 years, love everybody who comes in the door and hug them. Every one of them like you're his own. That's not an emotion or a, a make up, make do. That's, I'll never forget, we had someone uh, come to the church and they came in and my mom gave him a hug. We used to give him a hug. He said, I'm not much of a hugger. And mom said, that's all right, I am. <laughs> it's like, your inability doesn't affect my ability. <laughs> And uh, so I, when it comes to understanding the heart of a father, I know there are those in here who maybe you didn't have a father like that. You didn't understand the sacrificial love of a father who would do without so that you could have not even a need but a want. But I had the privilege of that. And even in that, the Lord is continuing to grow me. And he asked me this as I got in the, in the Jeep to pull it around back this morning. He said, what did you have to do to be a son? This is deep, I know. What did you, Todd, have to do to be a son? That was pretty simple, right? What did any of you have to do to be born? Nothing. You even had no part in it to be born naturally. Right? There were two other people. We're not going to teach that today. <laughs> There were two other people, and you know what? They were intimate. They were uh, relational. They were intimate, and because of that, life came. Life came, and he said, so what did you have to do to be born again, to be born the first time? And I said, nothing. I was, it was because of what somebody else did that I was born into the earth. He said, Exactly. And what is it for you to get born again? There is something that we have to do to be born again because Jesus died for the whole world. Listen, I want you to understand this. There's books out there that say because Jesus' blood is so powerful that everybody's going to heaven. That's a lie from the pit of hell because we have to, by faith, believe into what he did. When we believe what Jesus did for us, then we enter into eternal life. We have his life inside of us. We become a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things become new. That's what Jesus was talking to, to uh, Nicodemus about in John chapter 3. So as I've been meditating on this thing on, on fathers, you can look in John chapter 1. This is, this is really good. The very first of John chapter 1 verse 12, verse 11 says, He came to his own and his own did not receive him. Verse 12 says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the, the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. The word in there, who believe in his name, is the Greek word, it literally means into. It means into. Now, I can believe in my house. I can believe that it's structurally sound i can believe that it's a refuge from rain and weather and storms and things like that i can believe that about my house but when i believe into my house now i'm sheltered from the storm are you with me and this word literally means that he said for those who believe it says for those who believe into his name so when we believe into him, that's by faith, believing that Jesus is who he said he is, that he did what he said he, do, he did, he, done, he had done. Don't get hung up on my English. <laughs> you believe it to be true, then by faith we go, I believe that and I receive you as my Savior and my Lord. From that, we believe into him. 
We just don't believe it. And there are people who believe in Jesus. They believe that he was a prophet. They believe he was a good man. They believe that uh, he did miracles, but they don't believe into him. When you go into him, you begin relationship. You can believe, 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 believe for a child, but if, if there isn't a transaction that takes place, there's no child. Right? And he's saying, Todd, you didn't do anything to be born, and what you do to be born again is to believe into me. It's not a work that we do, right? So after that, he continued that train of thought, and he, he began to continue to speak to me about sonship. And uh, he said, as a mature son who knows his identity, he doesn't work for his inheritance, he works from his inheritance. So what is the difference? When I understand who I am in the home, that I'm a son, that, that my father loves me, and that everything he has is mine, then I don't perform works to try to get what my father's already giving me. I begin to live from that identity and from that inheritance. That was the problem with the, uh, the in the parable of the, I think it should be the prodigal father, the, the father that loved lavishly and the son who took everything and left it all. He said, I want my inheritance. And, you know, through tradition, we understand that what he was literally saying is, Dad, I wish you were dead so that I can have what is mine. And in Jewish custom, he could have been stoned for even asking for his inheritance because it was dishonoring his, his parents. And under the law, if a child disobeyed and dishonored their parents, they could be stoned. Some of us would have never made it. I'm just saying, we would have never made it because we would have been stoned before we ever had a chance to grow up. <laughs> but they, he said... He said, I want what's mine, and he left, and he spent it, and uh, he came to himself, and he was in the pig pen, and he realized that the, the servants at his dad have, dad's house was better off than him. So he got up, brushed himself off, went, and we know the story, I'm not gonna, I'm, and the father was watching for him. That's the father I want you to get a picture of this morning. I don't know what your father was like, but the one I want you to get a picture of this morning is the one who's always watching and always waiting, who's looking. And there's so much in that. The father, it says that when, when he saw the son at a great distance, that he, he girded himself up and ran to the son. Again, when you study that, the reason is because if the son who had disgraced his father that way came back into camp, he could have been stoned to death on, on entry back into the camp. But the father immediately ran to him, and he had to... You know, they didn't wear blue jeans. They, they wore, uh, I, don't know, I don't know what you'd call it, not a skirt, but a tunic. Yeah, thank you. So he would, they, they, literally what he would do is he would reach between here, grab that and tuck it in his belt like this so that now it's like he had shorts on and he could run to his son. And when he ran to his son, what did he do? He called to his servants and he restored his son's identity before he ever came back into town or into home. He put shoes on his feet, a ring on his finger, put his robe around him. Everything that the son had done to deny the father was covered by the father. That's so good. That's the heart of our father. That he, he put shoes on his feet because he'd lost everything. Put shoes on his feet. And you know what the father didn't say? Boy, you stink. 
Go clean yourself up, then come back to see me. Where was he when he came to himself? In the pig pen. Anybody ever been around pig pens? I'm not talking just about a pig. I ain't talking about bacon on your plate. I'm talking about you've been around a pig pen. Lord, have mercy. It is uh, rough. It's a smell. Anyway, that's what he came out of, eating the slop. And I've fed pig slop before. It's nasty. Nasty, nasty, nasty. <laughs> no bueno. The, the smell was, was horrendous because of what he had done with his life. But the father in his love came running to him, embraced him. And it says that he fell on his neck. That's the exact same word. The only other place that word fell is used is in Acts when the Holy Spirit fell on them on the day of Pentecost. And it doesn't mean he fell on him. Like the father was running and tripped and fell on his son. That's not what it means. What it means, that word fell on means that he embraced him totally. So on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit come, he didn't fall on them, and they were like, oh, whoa, what was that? You, you would tell no, I'm not going there. Stop it. <laughs> That's not what it was, but what it was was the Holy Spirit came in the room and embraced all of them with a father hug. Oh, that's awesome. The father did that, and he put his robe on him. He put his ring on his finger, which was his place of authority and identity. With that ring, probably right hand, but with that ring, he could go anywhere and conduct business just as, as if he was the father. He could go into town and say, I want this and this and this, and then show the ring, put the ring down, and they would say, yes, sir, because it was just as though the father was there. And it wasn't anything the son did. But yet we may not have been the one that was out squandering everything, but maybe we're the one who's at home, who's the older brother, who has it all. The father said, all I have is yours. You have it all, but all you can see is what the other brother did. And you can't receive from your father because you're mad at him because he loved Amen. And I'm telling you, today, I told uh, Nanette when I first came in, I is stirring in me, and I don't even know how to go forward from here, but one thing I know the Father wants to do is destroy an orphan spirit. Because an orphan spirit is always operating from lack. An orphan spirit is always looking at what someone else has or what they don't have and going, I don't understand why this, why that. And they, are never, they never can see what's right in front of them. Because that son wasn't an orphan, but he lived like one. The older brother. He lived like, an, or he lived like what the father did for that son was affecting who he was. And that's a lie. So maybe you're the one who's just been in and out, in sin, and you stink. Or you're the one who's been in the house and you've been in your quiet time and you feel like it's just been talking to this, this uh, plaster wall, this sheetrock wall, and you're getting nothing from it and you're just frustrated and upset and you're going, God, I don't understand. I hear so-and-so get a word. I get so-and-so. They have encounters. I've got friends. I've shared this. I've got friends that are in a place. They, every, about every time they go get along with the Lord, they have some kind of encounter, a dream, a vision, or something like that. 
and I go and I get crickets. Not all the time, but not every time do I go and I have this fantastic dream or this vivid, detailed dream. And you know what I can do? I can look at them and go, man, God, why don't I have that? And the whole time I miss the relationship that he has with me. I miss where he's drawing me and speaking to me. And that's what I love about him. English isn't his primary language. I've proven today it's a good thing because my mastery of the English language is not the best. So thank God it's not. Hebrew's not his primary language. Does he speak it? Absolutely. He'll speak to you where you are to draw you to him. The whole thing is, not, is about being drawn to him and being sensitive to hear what he's saying to you. But he's calling us in out of that orphan mindset of always having lack, never enough, never accepted, always rejected. And, and I'm not, not going to paint anyone in a corner, but some telltale signs of that I've already mentioned. But one is if you're always needing prayer and never giving prayer to someone else, then you don't understand your identity. I, I'm not saying that, but... I, because of the ministry time we had. That's not what I'm saying. Should we come together? Absolutely. James says, and that's what, uh, when Roland came to me, he said, James said, is there any sick among you? Let them call for the elders of the church. Right? That's what it says. There's nothing wrong with that. James also says, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, makes dynamic power available. Uh, power available is dynamic and it's working. So praying together corporately is not wrong. But if you're always on the other side of it where you're always needing it, then there's, an, there's a good possibility that you don't understand what's already been provided and you're living from what someone else can do for you instead of what he's already given to you. And that just, what it does is it continues to build and build and build in your life to where it becomes your life and it becomes self-sustaining and now you're just writing. And he wants to break that. And that's why I think what's been stirring in me so much is there's a difference. And last week, I'll just apologize for last week. I don't even half know what I said last week. To be honest, I had about two hours sleep. I had been in the emergency room till 3.30 in the morning, got home, took a shower, got into bed about Four got up, four fifteen got up at six, and uh, got ready, and then came to church, and so I was operating on about two hours sleep, and I had a message, and I don't even know how much I covered of it or how much I, I honestly, hand to the Lord, I know about thirty percent of what I said. So if you won't hold it against me, I won't either. <laughs> it's not an excuse; it's just the truth. But in that, my heart and what I wanted to communicate is that there are things that we know and we can defend biblically. We, we have our, our theology about who God is and what that means to me. We have our doctrine about what we believe about the Scriptures and how we live according to those things. And I'm convinced that we can have all of these things that are very, very good. They're from the scriptures, and we can have them. We can even argue our point, but we don't know him intimately, and we don't believe them to the place that they change the way that we live, because if you, as we believe, not if, because I know you do believe, or you wouldn't be here to begin with, 
But as we believe into him, and we grow into that, and that's what Galatians says, and we'll get there in just a moment. As we believe into that, it, it changes how we live from that point forward. Um, if I know I'm loved, then I don't perform to be loved. Right? I don't serve my father out of demand or compulsion because I feel that I have to. I do because I get to because I've encountered his love for me. This uh, past week, my father had talked to me a, a week or so ago, and he said, my generator's up by the house. I need to get it down to the, uh, to the storage building. If you can help me get it down there one day, that would be great. And uh, Friday, I had some time. I was on that side of town. He was at, he was at work. He wasn't there. So I went, I put his shoes on because I wasn't going to get mine dirty. And uh, I drug his generator, which is heavy, uh, about 100 yards, maybe not quite, about 50, 60 yards down to his building. And I opened the building, and to put the generator where it needs to be, Dad has organized his, shop, his shed. It's not very convenient for placing the generator where it needed to go. So I moved some things around, and I put the generator up in there, and then I remember that when I was doing all that, that his lawnmower, his riding mower, was sideways where he couldn't pull it out. And it wasn't a way that he could work it around. He was going to have to grab the mower, pick it up, turn it around to be able to get it out. So I'm sitting in his house after I exerted myself, and I'm thinking, and I, I'm thinking, you know what, I should probably do that. So I call him, and I tell him, I said, don't you need that? Yeah, but don't you worry about it. I said, I'm not worried about it. Well, you don't need to do that. I said, I know I don't need to. I get to. I get to do this for you so that you don't have to do this when, you, when it needs to be done. And if we can get that perspective, it's, if it's whatever, if it's going to work and looking like Jesus instead of looking like a prune. Wow. I get to do that. If it's loving my mate who's not very lovely or lovable in this moment, then I get to look like my father, and I get to do for him what he's asked me to do because he said, if you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me, Jesus said. So it's not that we have to do these things, and that's what I think that many times we in the church have taken what we get to do to, for a father who's lavished his love upon us, and we've made it what we have to do. So our heart is already wrong when we walk into it. It's not what I have to do, it's what I get to do because of the love. See, I'm not working for an inheritance of what he'll give me one day, but I'm working from the reality of what's already been placed on the inside of me. I'm working from identity, not for identity. And once we know who we are and whose we are, how we function looks differently. So I didn't tell you all that so that you could say, oh, he served his dad, that's great. I didn't call my brothers and sisters and say, hey, you know, dad needs this stuff done, and y'all haven't done it, so I'm going to do it. He didn't even ask me to do it, but I'm going to do it because I love him and I'm his favorite. Just wanted you to know so that you'll feel guilty, so that maybe one day you'll do something. It's not what I did. In my heart, that wasn't even in my heart, in my mind at all. All I thought is, man, I love my mom and dad. And they've loved me so well. I'm so full of that love. I have that love to give. So I want to do, do that. And in doing that, I, 
hid something that he, he couldn't find unintentionally. He was like, I can't find this thing. I, I think it's over here, but he found it. But uh, So you know what that means? Even, listen, oh, somebody's going to be free right here. I feel it. Mm. Come on, Jesus. Ha. That even if you don't do it perfect, it doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. It doesn't mean it won't be honored and appreciated by the Father. Even if you don't do it exactly like they would have done it. And he's growing me in that. I'm a little bit, not control freak, I'm not OCD, I don't receive that in Jesus' name. I'm particular. I'm particular, that's what I am. Trying to get one that's least condemning. <laughs> and I'll be honest, I mean, if we're going to be real, I'll be honest. When Karen went out the door with the flag, my mind, well, I wonder if she'll put it where I want it. And the Lord said, what does it matter where it is? She's putting it up. and She's not doing it for you. She's doing it for me. And I said, Lord, I apologize. <laughs> Lord, I probably, she hung it upside down. I would tell everybody how good the flag looked today. It was a different look. Because what she was doing was not unto Todd. It was unto the Lord. And, and when we serve as unto him, not unto others, what that is is it's growing up into who we are. It's growing up into, we're learning how to grow up into who we are. You know, <clears throat> For me, as Brianna was getting older, I think probably when she was around 13 years old, I let her start driving. Not on the streets, but I let her start driving. I had an older Jeep then. That thing was, uh, it was a faith Jeep. <laughs> it operated on a prior. But uh, it, it was a, it was a, I was thankful. We just thankful for it. Thank you, Jesus, for that old white Jeep that Brianna learned how to drive in. <laughs> but I would take her and I would, uh, we would, First, I started out with her just sitting beside me, and she would drive as we were in the parking lot, or I would let her do that a little bit when we were going down the road. I'd have my hand over here, and she would be sitting beside me, and she would drive. I worked the gas and all that, but if she got to where she could reach the pedals, I'd slide the seat up, and we would go in a big parking lot, and we would, I would let her drive because I knew there was coming a day that she was going to be driving, and I wanted her to drive with me first before she drove without me where I could have my hand there, where I could grab the wheel or squeal in a high voice like a little girl that's scared if I needed to. But I was there with my presence was there with her. And, and I watched her grow in that. And I, I allowed her to do more and more to where one day we were driving and she, I was just sitting in the passenger seat. She was driving there and I said, all right, we're going to do backing today. You remember this baby girl? Me, now I look back. And I go, what in the world were you thinking? There was a parking lot as big as this school that we were driving in. And where I chose to let her practice backing was up to a creek. <laughs> what, what were you thinking? I don't know what I was thinking. And she just about put us in the creek. But we learned about backing and gas and all of those things. <clears throat> yeah. We made it through unscathed. But when she went to driver's ed, you know, things have changed. You still have to go to driver's ed. But when she went to driver's ed, I think, you how many times you drive? Twice? 
She drove twice. He signed her certificate and said, you don't need to come back. You know why? Because her father, I didn't put off on somebody else what was my responsibility to do. As her father, I worked with her. I watched her grow up into the ability to drive a car. And so when she went somewhere and they had to verify that she had that ability, she drove twice and they said, you don't need to come back because you've got this. That's, I think that excites our father as we grow up into our identity where we don't have to keep revisiting this thing of, Dad, how do I do this again? Dad, how do I do this again? But you know what? He's so gracious. He's so merciful. He's so loving that when we come back, he just shows us Yep, you just go to the right, and you go around that mountain. When you get back, I'll be here. <laughs> yep, you can go around that mountain again. Just go around to the right. Just keep to the right, and you'll come back to me, and I'll be here. I love you. But when we go, you know what? I'm tired of going around the mountain. I'm ready to go up the mountain. He goes, that's what I've been waiting for, and I love you into that. Now you're understanding more about who you are, your identity. And as we live from that place, that excites the heart of the Father, I believe, that we start living not for him, but from him. Because he who's joined himself to the Lord is one spirit with him, right? So as we live from him, what we're doing now is we're not just living out of our own ability. We're living out of who he is in us and who we are in him. And it literally talks about we should clothe ourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that, that means to be totally engulfed in him. And that's what he's desiring for us to grow up into. It, as we grow up into that, we understand him as father. And that we're not working to be a son because we couldn't do anything to become a son. We just became because of what someone else did. Right? The same thing here. This covenant that we believe into and we receive was a covenant between the son and the father. So that we couldn't mess it up. God created Adam and said, I give you authority on the earth, Adam. It's your responsibility. And Adam believed a lie about his identity. You know that? Adam believed a lie about his identity. That's where it began with. Because he said, Satan said, if you, uh, God don't want you to do this because then you'll be like him. God had created him in his image. He was already like him. So the, he, the, this whole mess began with an identity crisis. And we've been working out of it since then. That we grow up into him. Wow. Is that right? Sweet Jesus. I'm laughing. I'm literally shocked about what time it is. It's 11.57. I thought for sure it would be like 11.25 or 11.30. Sweet Jesus. Hallelujah. Okay. Man, you know, have you heard of translation being translated? Tra I think we just got translated. Some of you thinking, no, bro, I was here the whole time. I know. <laughs> you might have got translated, but I walked this whole journey. And don't tell me I was translated anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> wow, Jesus, you good? <laughs> okay. What do I want to leave you with? Ephesians. This is my heart, my passion for us as a body. Ephesians uh, 11, 4, not 11. He's like, you messed up. There's no 11 in Ephesians. <laughs> Not chapters, no, 
verse 11 out of chapter 4. I was, going, I was backing into it. And he himself gave some to, uh, to be apostles, some prophets, some ev- evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning uh, craftiness of deceitful plotting. It's a mouthful. Many times when we share this passage, and I promise I'll be brief, we'll do 11 and 12 and we stop. He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry. And we stop. It's just like we we read Ephesians 3.20. Now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think. And we stop. And that's not not a stop point. all, All that we ask or think, according to the power that's at work on the inside of us. So he's able to do exceeding abundantly above, beyond all we ask or think, according to what's already at work on the inside of us. Okay. And we read Apostle, Prophet, Evangelist, Pastor, Teacher, what are they there for? For the equipment of the saints to do the work of the ministry. Yes, Lord, we need some workers in the church to do the work of the ministry so people can come to know Jesus. And we stop, and that's not as hard. As hard as you continue to read, look at verse 15. He says this, that we wouldn't be, I mean, 13 talks about coming into the unity of the faith. He didn't say the conformity of the faith, but the unity of the faith, that we grow into that. <clears throat> and it said that we would be uh, a, a, the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect or a mature man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So what is he saying? I shared this last week, but I'll say it again. If we look at anyone in the New Testament, in, in uh, the Gospels, not in the New Testament, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if we look at anyone and we go, I'm like that, I identify with Peter and how I might be bold, but sometimes I speak too fast, or I say things I shouldn't say, or I do something, or Martha, who I'm just too busy, or Mary, I just want to sit at his feet. Is it good to sit at his feet? I mean, the Lord gave us a word that it's good to sit at his feet. But if we identify in any of those things, then we've missed the mark, because the mark that we're supposed to identify with is Jesus. He said here, I've given these to the church, not just so you can understand what the work of the ministry is, but so you can grow up to be a mature son and you would represent the fullness of Christ. Isn't that what he said? To the perfect man, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we wouldn't be children anymore, tossed to and fro. Everyone, every time somebody came through with some new teaching, new doctrine, we wouldn't go, oh, maybe I should follow that light. Go to the light. It's not that they're wrong. They might have an understanding that we don't have and we can learn from it. But we're not always here and there and up and down and in and out. But that we're walking as mature sons in the fullness of Christ. That's beyond a lot of our minds to just think, I can look like Jesus on the earth. I'm not talking about sandals and a beard and long hair. I'm talking about looking like Jesus on the earth. Look, verse 15, and I'll stop with this. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. Paul said this is what it's about, that we would grow up where? Into him. Remember what I told you about John chapter 3? And because of time, I won't go back and read it. But when John, uh, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and he said that, For God so loved the world that whoever believes in him, it literally means into him. 
When you believe into him by faith, just not you believe that he is Jesus, you believe that he is Messiah, but you believe, you put your faith in him and you get positionally put into him because you're one spirit with him and now I'm living from him, not for him. Then we grow up to that stature of the fullness of Christ. And does that mean we do it right all the time? No. But what it means is even when I mess up, I don't go, oh, snap, I'm not a son anymore. I'm not his kid anymore because I mess up. You know what? I can tell you from a fact, I messed up at least once as a child. Thank you, Karen. A little quiet Karen laughed out loud right then. I messed up multiple times growing up. And my mom and my dad never said, He's, you're not my son anymore. There were times that my mama would say, Frank, get your son. She never said I wasn't hers, but she just said, Frank, get your son. He's doing this, he's doing that. But she never said I wasn't hers. I wasn't their son, even when I messed up. And our father, he said, if you know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more your heavenly father? That's his love. For us, so I've got a lot to say, but it won't happen today. But my heart, and this is, like I said, when I came in, the thing that he just kept dealing with is that we grow up into him, not grow up so we can be accepted by him. We're already, Ephesians 1, 6 says, we're accepted in the beloved. We're, we, we believe into him. So positionally, listen to this. This is so good. When the Father sees us, he sees Jesus. Because I've been placed into Jesus. So when I pray, you know where my prayers go through? Anybody ever prayed and just felt like, man, I just blew a bunch of hot air into the room, and I don't know if it made sense or if it did any, any good at all. You know what's beautiful about that? Every bit of that went through Jesus before it went to the Father. He's in heaven, ever living to make intercession for us. We're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So we're there with him. So when we pray, as, as messed up as it can be, when we pray, it goes through Jesus to the Father. And the Father goes, I can work with that. I think that's why he gave us tongues. Because we can't really mess that up. So let's stand. Father, I love you, and I thank you that I am growing up into, into Jesus. I haven't arrived, God, many times I feel like I'm further than where I started. But I thank you that your love never stops pursuing me. That your love and your acceptance, that I'm accepted in the beloved. I'm accepted in Christ because of what he did, not what I do. Father, I release that right now. This is my altar call. I release that over this congregation right now. An understanding and a knowing that we can live from you and not for you. That we'll grow up into all things into you, Lord Jesus. That we, we are growing into that mature son that represents you. Will we do it perfectly as Jesus did? No, but even when we mess up, 
It's covered by the blood of the Lord Jesus. It's covered because of Jesus paid for my mistake. He paid for my sin 2,000 years ago. Not when I realize I messed up and say, forgive me, it was covered. But when I say, forgive me, I enter into that forgiveness and it becomes a reality in my life. It doesn't, it's not at that point that it's finally released to me. It's covering me. Thank you, God, that it's covering me. And God, I, as Paul prayed in Ephesians 1, I pray that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened, that our hearts would be open to receive and to know who we are, and that we wouldn't wait one day to live in our inheritance, but today, this day, we make a decision that we start living from our identity, from our inheritance, from, from who we are in you, not who we are going to try to be one day. And I thank you, Lord, that you've not made a failure. You, there's not a mistake or a failure. Do we make mistakes and do we fail? Absolutely. It's what we do. It's not who we are. No one here is an accident because you're outside of time. And you knew they were coming before they're, they're, the ones who conceived them knew they were coming. So, Father, I thank you. So I break that lie of uh, you're an accident. I break the lie of you're a misfit. I break the lie of you're broken and you can't do right because all you know is wrong. I break that lie off of them right now in Jesus' name. And Father, if there's one here that's never entered into Christ Jesus in relationship, I pray today would be that day that they believe on you. When the Philippian jailer came in and Acts, he said, what do I have to do to be saved? And Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. Believe into Jesus and you will be saved. Believe into what he did for you and receive it by faith. So God, I thank you that I didn't have to label every one of the things I had done wrong before I could be born again. Because I know I would have missed one. But I had to, uh, what I had to do was believe that you covered my sin. That you paid the price for me. And that when I believe into you, I become like you in the eyes of the Father. So I thank you if there's one here today who's never asked you to be their Lord and Savior, that today would be that day that they say, I believe into Jesus that he paid for my sin on that tree that I could be the son of God, the daughter of God because of the finished work of Jesus. And by faith, I grab hold of that and I turn from sin and I turn to you. Father, thank you for those who are here who've walked with you, for those who have had those times that we talked about that they feel like they're praying to a wall and it's empty and dark and, and there's not a response. God, I thank you that you hear and none of those are falling on deaf ear. None of those are in, uh, unimportant. And that, God, that you're wooing us and drawing us into that secret place with you. So, Father, we bless you for being such a good, good Father. It's not just a song that we sing. It's a cry of our heart. You are a good, good father. And I thank you that we at the river are growing up into relationship, identity in you. That today is a new day. That we are, we are no longer... I curse the lie of you're a victim in here today. Father, I know there are those in here that feel victimized, and maybe they were, but they are not a victim I break that lie that you'll always be the victim. You'll always be underneath. You'll never be above. That's a lie. Today, we position ourselves as sons in the house of the Father, 
So we pray from heaven to earth, not earth trying to reach heaven, and say thank you for the finished work of Jesus that I can partner with and walk into. We love you, Lord, and we bless you in Jesus' name.